You know, some weeks ago, I knew this day was coming, and I had asked God, God, uh, what do you want me to say? And we talked about in Sunday school this morning, I thought it was interesting, that too often what we do is we think, we'll do something good, and then we'll ask God to bless it. And we talked about in Sunday school how that's backwards. We should always start with God. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What is it that you're speaking to me about? And as I thought about that, um, God spoke to my heart about a passage from Acts 20. And we're going to look at Acts 20, verse 17 to the end of the chapter. And For our normal scripture reading, I'm not going to read it all, but we're going to work our way down through the chapter. Because what it is, is Paul is headed to Jerusalem. And he spent some time with church family that he had grown to love. And I mean, he loved them deeply. And he decided instead of heading back there to that church to see the people for the last time, he would call the church leaders to come see him at port. And so um, they had three days, Paul, to think about what he was going to say and for them to think about what they were going to say before they saw each other with what Paul assumed to be the last time this side of heaven. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting this is the last time this side of heaven, so Terry and Samantha. But it was on my heart, and as I, I studied it, um, God spoke to my heart. I pray that He'll speak to all of us. In this message I've entitled, When the Messenger Becomes the Message. But I want to ask you to stand with me as uh, we look at Acts 20. I'm going to read verses 17. And 18. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Let's pray. Master, I feel so inadequate to be here and to speak, Lord. Too often we try to be more than we are. And we want to be liked. and We want people to say, good job. And that's important. But what's more important is that you look at us as we really are and say, good job. And I pray this morning that, Lord, your Holy Spirit might just take over and work. And I believe you've done that so far. And I don't want to mess that up, Lord. And so I pray that you anoint me to speak. And Father, that you anoint our hearts and ears to hear. And Lord, that you'd say what I didn't even intend to say, if that's what you want. And Lord, that we would leave here saying Jesus is awesome. That we love him. And uh, Lord, just speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, as I thought about this, I, I thought about how much Paul loved these church leaders that he was waiting to see, to say his goodbyes to, how, how much they meant to him. And I think as he, as he speaks here, what caught my attention there in verse 19, guys, is that he said, I served, or verse 18, he says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. You see, we're given a a message. It's called the gospel. 
It's called the simple truth that God loves us so much that He looks at us and He sees our need. He sees that we are sinners. He sees that we've messed it up, that we're separated from Him. And He loves us so much that He wants to correct that. And that's what Jesus is all about. That's why He came. That's why He lived the sinless life. That's why He walked among us in His glory, God Himself. And that's why He went to the cross. And that's why He conquered death and He rose from the grave. And that's why He went to the right side of the Heavenly Father. And that's why He intercedes for us. It's because He loves us. And you see, what's what's awesome is that the message actually grabs hold of the messenger. And the goal is at some point, the messenger actually becomes an extension of the message. And I believe that's what happened in Paul's life, guys. I believe as Paul is speaking, he's saying, Hey guys, you've heard me speak, but more than that, you know I love you. We've hung out together. We've served God together. We've been through the hurts and the pains and the joys and the celebrations. And... I believe that as we've been together, you've seen that although I came as a messenger, as I leave, I'm an extension of the message. And I believe his heart is that he wanted all of those people that love Jesus to be an extension of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loves and that God forgives and that God works and that God serves and and that God loves ultimately. And... um, I just want to look at what he had to say because it's some awesome stuff. Now think about it. This is what he believed to be the final words to these people he loved so dearly. And what did he say? And I think as we look at these words, I think we get a picture of what it means when the messenger becomes an extension of the message. So so let's just look at these points. I've got a few here. So the greatest miracle might be that I finish a reasonable amount of time. Uh, first point here says he served with humility and tears in the toughest of circumstances. Look at verse 19 again. He says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Now, sometimes I think we misunderstand what humility is. Sometimes we think humility means that you just let people get their way and run all over you. That's not humility. That's being a doormat. Humility is simply this. Humility is when I stop and realize who God is and who I am. That's all it is. It's when I begin to realize who God is and who I am. I I thought about this and wrote a few notes about it. God is holy. I am a sinner. God is perfect. I'm flawed. God is in perfect control, and I am a control freak that controls less than I think. God is love, and I need to be loved. Now, guys, the list could go on, but this is humility. And in the midst of that, it doesn't mean there won't be tough times. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, look out, tough times are coming. Uh, This is John 16, verse 33. Jesus He said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, I'm the forever friend. I'm the one that's with you through it. And, and God was, was sharing His heart through Paul to these people. He's saying, guys, I, I, 
I spent my time here wanting to look at God and say, God, this is who you are. And wanting to honestly look at me and say, God, this is who I am. And I intend to serve you by looking at who you are and who I am and looking to you for help. That was his heart. I thought of uh, Psalm 25 verses 14 through 16 through the message, which is a paraphrase, but sometimes this paraphrase really speaks uh, in a powerful way. Listen to this. God friendship is for God worshipers. They're the ones He confides in. If I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Look at me and help me. I'm all alone and in big trouble. I love that. God says the one I'm friends with is the one that, that sees who I am and sees who they are. And there's a worship factor that occurs from seeing clearly. And I love it. It's just so honest. He says, i got to keep my eyes on you or I'm going to trip over my own feet because I'm spiritually clumsy and I'm going to fall. So Lord, look at me. Help me. Because without you, I'm just all alone and I'm in trouble. Spare me, Lord. Alright, so that's point one. Serve with humility and tears. Point two, he built people up and stayed connected with them. Look at verse 20. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. You know what I saw here? Paul is saying, you know guys, I'm more than just a pulpit personality. And it's easy in this day and time with churches that are so huge and and with so many amazing programs and so much that's going on that it's easy for people to become um, Christian celebrities and personalities. And I think what Paul was saying here is, guys, you know me. As we've met together and we've worshipped. And he says, but you also know me personally. You know, guys, we've shared life together. I've been at your house. You've been to mine. And, and we've cried together. And we've laughed together. And we've, we've been together. Not just in church, but we've really shared hearts as we've sought God and as God's touched our lives. And, and he said, as I've spoke to you guys, my heart's desire is to be helpful. I just want you to be closer to Jesus. And I don't want to discourage you. I don't want to knock you down. I want to help pick you up so that together we can be closer to the Lord. That's His heart. made me think of uh, Ephesians 4.29. You've heard me joke that in my family, we've shared that so much, we should all know it. But Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Words that are helpful. And that was Paul's heart. And I believe that's what he was sharing with him. He says, I want to be connected to you and I want to build you up. Third, he had the same message for everyone. Look at verse 21. He says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are or who I am. Our differences are not what sticks out. The fact is that everyone here and beyond needs a Savior. We are all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of His touch. It doesn't matter what we don't share. It's ultimately Him that we need to share, that we need. Guys, we, we, we need Him. And, and it, it's funny, it, as I said this, I read an example of a guy from Boston who was wanting to get a job in a Chicago bank. There was a recommendation that was sent from this young guy's family. And in the recommendation, uh, his dad wrote, 
Well, he was a Cabot, and his mother was a Low, and further back was a happy blend of Saltonstalls and Peabodys and other of Boston's first families. And so anyway, uh, about a week later, the bank had sent back a letter in regard to that recommendation. In the letter, they said, well, what you shared with us is really inadequate as far as this goes. We are not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes, just for work. And you know what, guys? The truth of the matter is, we're all gifted in different ways. But God's not impressed with me or you. He loves us. He wants to use us. But He loves each of us with His full heart. That's our God. Not a respecter of persons, not one of partiality, but one who loves each of us with His full heart. And and Paul shared that, guys. He shared that. Uh, Next. His deepest desire was to obey God no matter the risk. Starting at verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You know, just like most of us, I've wept some just because I love Terry and Samantha and and I'll be with them in prayer, but I like hanging out with them in person too. And We'll get to do that some more. But when we love people, we like being around them. But you know, the truth of the matter is, God's the ultimate one that calls the shots. And God has a great plan for Terry and Samantha. And you know what excites me? Is that although I know it's tough, they've said yes. They want to follow the call of God. And let me tell you something, guys. Even though we'll miss seeing them each week here, man, I'm so proud of them. And my heart's desire for each of us is that God will do the kind of work through Kingsway that each of us will simply ask, God, what is your call on my life? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? What is it you want of me? God, I'm your servant. Lord, do you have the right to change my plans if that's what you want to do? What do you want to do? Terry and Samantha asked that and God told them. May we ask those same kind of questions, guys. And it's a risk. You know what's wrong with us? I'm this way too, guys. I want to be safe. I don't want to take a risk. You know, us preachers sometimes complain about, well, people don't want to change. I don't want to change. I remember one time going into a meeting of ministers, there were a dozen of us, and some smart aleck preacher, he decided he'd play a game. So he rearranged all the chairs in there and wanted to see how many preachers commented on the room being rearranged. Well, every one of us. What's going on here? Why'd you rearrange a room? So who am I to talk about not, you know, oh, those people don't like change. Do you know why we don't like it? Because we feel safe with what's familiar. We're never safe unless God's leading. They're safe because they're following God. Each of us is safe when we say, God, what is your call? And then follow That's the goal. Uh, Here's a poem that goes with this. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. 
And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never really died. Man, I pray for each of us that we'll live. I mean, live for God. Live. You know, just like love when you guys were singing. I mean, with, with an energy. I mean, may we live with that kind of energy, you know? Uh, next. He worried about the spiritual health of God's people. <laughs> uh, I just want to make four points from this passage. Moving on down. Uh, first, Paul based his confidence on his desire to be true to the Scriptures. Look at verses 26 and 27. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. How would he know that? Man, Paul was serious about being in the Bible. The Scriptures of his day, of what he had before him. And, And he was serious about talking to God. And so what Paul was saying is, you know, I, I can come to you with a clear heart and say, you know, I didn't know what I was doing sometimes, but I got on my knees and said, God, show me. God, speak to me. God, make your scriptures come alive to me. And that, that was that was Paul. Second, he points out the church belongs to Jesus. Look at verse 28. Keep watch of yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which He bought. With his own blood. You know, I've seen churches get in trouble and fuss and feud and fight and sometimes split. And do you know why that is? They forget who owns the church. Guys, I love Kingsway Baptist Church, but it's not my church. But you know what? It's not yours either. This church belongs to Jesus. It's His. He bought it with His blood. That's what the cross is about. And we just get to be a part of that blessing that He gave. Third, the church will be infiltrated with those who want to distort the truth. Look at verses 29 and 30. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The devil is alive and well. And there are people who don't love the Lord that try to trip us up. Try to get our eyes off of Jesus. Try to get our eyes off what God has taught us in His Word. And Paul said, don't be naive to this, guys. Be people of the book and be people of prayer and and be people who who stay in constant connection with God. you got to do that because if you don't, you'll stray away from Him. Because... That's what we do. Unless we stay close, we drift. It's something you have to do. It doesn't just happen. If you're not staying close, you're drifting. And, and I believe as Paul speaks here, he says, just understand that. Stay close to God. And then last, fourth, the burden for people never stops. Look at verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. You know what's tough about love? You become vulnerable. If you soften your heart, then your heart can get broken. 
And what happens when God starts working through a church is we begin to love not only Him but one another. And we hurt for each other. And when people hurt, I hurt. You hurt. And Paul said, man, for three years I've been hurting. And it's because I love you. And man, we never get a calloused heart. But man, we have a soft heart. Because this place can be tough. And God wants us to love Him and one another, doesn't He? And that's, that's I believe, what, what Paul is saying. He says, don't ever let it stop. Don't ever get a calloused heart. Love, love one another. Alright, next. Uh, he committed them to God and the word of His grace. Look at verse 32. Now I commit you to God and the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who were sanctified. As I mentioned earlier, I believe that we are all control freaks. And at some point we realize there's very little we control. We want to micromanage, but there's so much that's bigger than I am. And I can't control it. And so as Paul is saying goodbye to these people he loves, man, he'd love to just take them with him, I'm sure. They can just hang out together and do it all. But it doesn't work that way. And he's burdened, and I believe he's saying, you know, this burden's just too big for me. So I commit each of you to the one who can keep you, because I can't. That's our God. That's our Lord. And I commit you there. And as much as it hurts me to give up control, God, it hurts worse when you have to unclench my fists. So may I just come with open hands and worship you and let go. Uh, Here's a poem someone wrote about letting go. To let go doesn't mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to cut myself off. It's the realization that I can't control another. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to try to change or blame another. I can only change myself. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be a human being. To let go is not to be in the middle arranging all the outcomes, but to allow others to affect their own outcomes. To let go is not to be protective, it is to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but to search out my shortcomings and to correct them. To let go is not to just everything to my desires, but to take each day as it comes and to cherish the moment. To let go is not to criticize and regulate anyone, but to try to become what I dream I can be. To let go is not to regret the past, but to grow and live for the future. To let go is to fear less and love more. <laughs> That's to let go. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And Paul was saying, Guys, I'm committing you who I love to Him. All right. Uh, he urged them to give of themselves. 
verses 33-35. He says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the work of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. There's times we need to be givers. There's times we need to be takers. And sometimes they're, sometimes we don't want to take and we deny someone else a blessing of receiving. But I think he's making the point here. Yeah. From the other side, if you're always a taker, you never experience the blessing of giving. Of knowing that you've touched another person significantly. And that blessing's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to put a figure of worth upon. He says, be those kind of people that give. That give and not just take, but give in the Lord. Someone has correctly said we're most like God when we give and forgive. That we be givers. Okay, I'm almost done. Hang in there, guys. Uh, He didn't hide his heart from them as he said goodbye. Look at verses 36 through 38. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, Like I said, I'm not making an analogy that I don't want to see Terry and Samantha this side of heaven. I'm really not going to comment much on this point because I think that's really picnic time where we gather around and pray and hug necks together and it'd be you talk about a short message it will be pretty short I want it to be more a time of touch prayer uh, but it'd be a good time and this was their time to uh, show a display of love and tears to them uh, meant the world to them and we're going to do that later today at the picnic we're going to pray together with Terry and Samantha who we so love One last thought, guys, uh, as I close. This was the church leaders at Ephesus. And it got me thinking. Remember when in the book of Revelation, Jesus wrote to the seven churches. and I thought about what He said to that church. These are people that Paul said goodbye to. Later Jesus would talk to them about how they lived for him. I think it's significant what he says here, and I'm going to close with this, is giving a charge to all of us. So let's look at that, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, uh, as we close out this message. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And notice what he says to this church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He says, man, you guys work hard. You're not lazy. Man, you love the cause of God. And, and, and you're willing to put on the overalls and the work boots and get to it, guys. I'm grateful for that. And he says, you persevere. When it gets tough, you don't run away. You get in the trenches and, and you serve. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. 
He says, man, he says, you care about holiness. You care about being set apart for God. And, and you don't like sin being in the spotlight. And you don't want to tolerate that because you want God to get the glory. And that's something that really needs a, to be acclaimed. He says, you persevered and endured hardships for a name. You've not grown weary. He's some great things to say about these people. Uh, in verse 6, he says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And I couldn't find out a lot about those guys. But the word seems to mean compromise. And so I think what he's saying is, is you really don't want to live a life of compromise. And you don't want the church to compromise. You want the church... Focus on Jesus. On me. And man, that's all good stuff. But now, unfortunately, we got to look at verse 5 as we close. Um, actually, verse 4 starts. He says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, man, if you don't repent, you're going to lose the influence I want you to have for me. What's the problem? Man, the problem is they are doctrinally right. They know what's true. But in their desire to get it right and do it right and be known as right, they miss Jesus. These are the demonstrators. I wrote this note to myself. These are the demonstrators who are vocal, who fight with all their might against abortion, against domestic violence, against child abuse, against debilitating poverty and hunger, against sexual perversion. And the list goes on. And he praised them for being a people who fights against this stuff. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for what's right and fight against those who are being hurt. But in the process of that, they forgot Jesus. And one thing I never want us to become here at Kingsway is a people who are known for what they're against instead of who they're for. Guys, this is a big deal. I want, although I want to make sure people know that we want to follow God and be true to Him, may it never be said that, well, they're just against and against and against and against. I want them when they think of us to say they're for Jesus. Because man, people are broken, they need Jesus. And although we want to point away from that, may we always be pointing to Him. And I know that's what Terry and Samantha want to do as they go to Belize. They want to point these people to Him. They want to be against some stuff that's hurting people's lives. But more than that, they want to point them to the one who can change life. Change the way it is. Now, I've, as they say in the hills, stick a fork in me, I'm done. I'm at the end of this. But uh, the altar's open. So if you need to come, you need to pray. Maybe you need to come uh, share something with a church family. Maybe there's someone here who, for the first time, it just kind of clicked. That this God who loves and forgives and changes wants to change you. Wants to offer His gift to you. And for some reason, you've only experienced Him from a distance. You've never said, God, come live in me. That's my heart today. I I just want you to find that... um, At some point years ago, I did, and it made all the difference. I'm better because of Him.
Not because of me. He wants you to know that too. He wants you to know Him. Let's pray and then we're going to have a chance to respond. And God spoke in your heart when you come. Let's pray. Lord, good day to worship you. Good day to support our friends, Terry and Samantha. We love them, Lord. Father, uh, thank you for just loving us completely. And I pray, Father, that as you speak, that we would say yes, whatever that is, Lord, and that we would respond to the nudging of your Spirit. And we would come to the altar to pray or come, Father, to make public a, a private matter you've been dealing with in our hearts. So, Lord, I just want you to be honored and glorified so that you can do your work in our lives, so that we might know your love more fully. Lord, have your way. Uh, this is your church, and these are your people. And since you made us, God, in a sense, we're all yours. We just may not know it yet. And I pray that there might be some this morning that have just figured it out. In your name we pray. Amen.